Um, all right, so we're in our uh, we're, we're in our sermon series called Start Here. If you're new here, uh, you missed the first two of this sermon series. Really, we talked about um, uh, can you prove the existence of God? And my answer to that question was uh, basically no. You can't prove God exists. You can't be sure God exists. It is. Either way you look at it, whether you're a theist or an atheist, it's a matter of faith. You can't prove God exists or that he doesn't. Um, and so we have to weigh the evidence. The second question was about the nature and character of Jesus. Who is Jesus of Nazareth? Both of those are very important questions. I'm not sure I could say they're more important than the question we're dealing with today. In fact, I think you can make a case for this question being more important. Because today we're talking about the Holy Spirit. And what does the Holy Spirit do? And I think the reason this question may be more important than the other two is that it's the one we have thought about the least. We rarely discuss with any detail the Holy Spirit, the nature of the Holy Spirit, who the Spirit is, what the Spirit does. With some regularity, some frequency, I hear people, I don't know whether they're Christians or not, talking about God in coffee houses, at Blacksmith, or at Starbucks. I hear people talking about the existence of God, whether they're theists or atheists. I hear them talking about God. I hear people talking about Jesus. Even unbelievers talk about Jesus in a public way. But it's very rare that you will hear someone talking about specifically the Holy Spirit at a coffee house. And if we're honest, we would probably admit to avoiding eye contact with people who really do talk about the Holy Spirit in a public place. Or God forbid they talk about the Holy Ghost. You're going to not go to their table, right? I don't want them to see that I have a Bible in my backpack because then they're going to draw me into their crazy conversation. Because Christians that talk about the Holy Ghost in public are those Christians, right? They're not like us. And I think that's the, that's the, that's the, oh, there they are. That's the Holy Ghost Christians image that we have in our minds. You know, these kinds of Holy Ghost, (laughs) Holy Rollers that, that are the Holy Spirit, you know, Christians. And so this happens in other places. This happens in the country. This happens in Appalachia. This happens other, other places, not here, not with us, not in a city like this, not in a, you know, with us. We're sophisticated, we're educated, we're enlightened, you know, thoughtful kinds of Christians. We're not those Christians. And so I think we have created this uh, dichotomy in our, in our minds that says the Holy Spirit is for Pentecostal uh, kinds of, uh, of emotional uh, Christians. And so that, that is uh, different um, from us. That those are, that's just for, you know, the charismatics. Uh, I came across this joke this week. I like this joke. Uh, it says, uh, the first part of it is, how many Pentecostals does it take to screw in a light bulb? Does anybody know? All right. The answer is 10. Because you have one screwing in the light bulb, and you have nine of them praying away the demons of darkness. Um, <laughs> the second part of this joke is, how many Methodists does it take to screw in a light bulb? You know, we're a part of a Methodist church. I know not all of us here are Methodists. Probably 70 80% of us would identify as Methodists. That's all right. I don't really care. But how many Methodists does it take to screw in a light bulb? All right, here's the answer. In response to this question, the United Methodist Church issued this statement. Uh, do we have the statement? We Methodists remain neutral on the need for a light bulb. However, if on your own journey you have found that a light bulb works for you, we affirm your decision and encourage you to pursue a personal relationship with your light bulb or light source or non-dark source. 
Next month at our annual light bulb conference, we will explore a number of light bulb traditions, including incandescent, fluorescent, strobe, and tinted, all of which are equally valid paths to luminescence. This is the Methodist response to the light bulb question. I think what we want, what Methodist types of Christians want, is a God we can control. We want a God who is like us, a button-down God, a sea-level leadership God. We want a God who knows how to run a company. You know, we want an order from chaos God. So we like Father God because he brought order from chaos. We like Jesus, the Son uh, of God, because he gave his life for us. Uh, this Holy Spirit character, we're not so sure about because he's wild. The early Christians called the Holy Spirit a wild goose because a wild goose cannot be tamed. Uh, the Holy Spirit is unpredictable. The Holy Spirit makes people do crazy things. And so uh, we're not so sure about, about the Holy Spirit when we really uh, think about it. And so uh, I want to talk about the Holy Spirit today. Because uh, understanding the Spirit is so, so important for us as we think about how to take the next steps in our faith journey, all right? So the Holy Spirit, without the Holy Spirit, it's impossible to grow deeper as a Christian. I've tried to grow deeper in my faith with a God I could control. It doesn't work that way. Um, the only way to grow deeper is to let go of that need for control, and that involves opening yourselves up to the Holy Spirit. So I want to talk first about three things the Holy Spirit is not, and then we'll talk about who the Holy Spirit is and what the Holy Spirit does. So real quick, let's get through these real quick. If you have your study guides, you can get those out now. Those, I hope, are a helpful resource. Uh, I know some of you are, are ADD like me. If I was a churchgoer and I had to come and sit through some talk for 30 minutes, 35, 38 minutes, uh, I would not do well with that. I understand how you feel. So you can get up and walk around if you need to, just whatever you got to do to focus. This is such an important conversation. I just want to make sure uh, we're able to stay together through this. So the Holy Spirit, what it is not. Number one, the Holy Spirit is not the third wheel of the Trinity. The Holy Spirit is not the third wheel of the Trinity. So we are monotheists. Most of you, I hope, know that. Uh, we believe in one true God, Christians do, and sometimes that idea of the Trinity can get a little bit twisted, can get a little bit confusing, because sometimes we can, it can seem like the three persons of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, are different persons, different gods even, or you could say they're different versions of the same God. I'm not comfortable with that language, because that implies a certain kind of variety of character among the three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's not the way the Bible um, lays it out for us. These are three manifestations of the same God. And three manifestations mean all three have the same character. They all have this, the, the same virtues. They are equal in terms of power, equal in terms of authority, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. In Genesis chapter 1, we have the Father and the Holy Spirit together. In the first verses of the Bible, it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's Creator, Father God, in our way of looking at this. And then uh, just in the next few lines, it says, The Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, hovered or moved over 
the waters. And so you have these two persons already. Later in the Bible, the, the best friend of Jesus, John, um, who is Jesus' closest friend, who Mary grows old with because Jesus tells John to adopt Mary as his mother at the cross. John says, Jesus told me that he was there at creation. John begins his gospel by saying, in the beginning, which sounds familiar if you know Genesis 1, John says, in the beginning was the word capital W, the Logos, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God, and then the Word became flesh and lived among us. And so at creation, Christians believe the three persons of the Trinity were there together, equal in power and authority, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Here's where we get messed up with this, is because of the limitations of our language and because of our tradition, we have come to understand the persons of the Trinity in terms of like a pecking order, first, second, and third, we always say it the same way. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. I don't know why we do that. I think it's just human habit, and we are creatures of habit, right? But there is nothing in the Bible that says we should do it in that order. Or like there, there is, you know, preeminence for God the Father, and then Jesus comes in a close second because he's Jesus, and then the Holy Spirit is like at a distant third because he's the Holy Spirit and he does weird things to weird people. And, and so we have this idea that, 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 you know, the Holy Spirit is less important. And I cannot express this enough. That comes through in the way that we live our faith. We talk a lot more about the Father in our prayers and preaching and about the Son uh, and very, very little about the Holy Spirit. I think this is a problem because the Holy Spirit is not the awkward third wheel of the Trinity, right? So it's not like, I feel like sometimes we, we, we have it like in our heads, like God is gold and Jesus is frankincense and the Holy Spirit is that third gift that nobody remembers ever or if like you know if like the trinity was destiny's child the holy spirit would be that michelle williams person that no one really knows or if the trinity was like the jonas brothers you know the spirit would be kevin like the least popular of the jonas brothers you know or if the trinity was like the chicago bulls from the 1990s the holy spirit would be dennis rodman and if you hear me say nothing else today, let me be clear. The Holy Spirit is not Dennis Rodman, okay? Take that home with you. Write it down in your Bibles. The Holy Spirit is not Dennis Rodman. The Holy Spirit is not myrrh, okay? The Holy Spirit is not the third person of the Trinity. They are equal in order, equal in power, equal in authority, and they are all uh, one in the same. So the Holy Spirit is not the third wheel. The second thing I want you to know is that the Holy Spirit will not make you a religious fanatic. And as I was writing the sermon, it became so clear to me that this is the biggest hurdle we have to clear today. Because if I'm going to convince you, many of you, we try to reach skeptical people uh, with our ministry, you know, and, and I'm a skeptical person. I know what, it, what you're probably thinking is that if I become one of those Christians that opens myself up to the Holy Spirit, nobody's going to invite me to parties anymore. Um, and nobody's going to want to talk to me anymore because I'm going to be like a weirdo or something, and I get it, and so I think if we're going to get to a place where, as I hope, we become a church where we are all mystical in the way that we approach our faith, we are all open to the, uh, to the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God coming into our hearts, changing our lives, uh, we're going to have to get past this idea that if uh, you receive the Holy Spirit, you're going to be rolling up and down the aisles next Sunday. And look, I think we all think a lot about speaking in tongues and all that stuff when we talk about being filled with the Holy Spirit or the Holy Ghost. I want to tell you that that kind of stuff, the charismatic response the Holy Spirit brings, is real. It's true. 
I will tell you that it has been a little overhyped in the history of the church. Because um, what we see in the first Christians that received the Holy Spirit, there's a little bit of that going on. But what really happens among the first Christians that received the Holy Spirit is it changes them fundamentally from the inside out. And what happens to them isn't that they start rolling up and down the aisles of the church. It's that they begin to reflect the holiness of God. So they begin to demonstrate what Paul calls the fruit of the Spirit. The Spirit lives in them, and suddenly they become more loving, more joyful, more peaceful. Uh, in Galatians, we have the, the fruit of the Spirit. You know, joy, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness. Yes, I forgot one. Generosity and self-control. I knew it was a G word. <laughs> and so th that's the, that, that is what the Holy Spirit does to people, as it brings this fruit. Uh, to fruition in our souls. It changes us from um, the inside out. It makes you more like God. So uh, the third thing, the Holy Spirit is not an it. This is um, really quick and really simple. Uh, Jesus refers to the Holy Spirit as a he. Um, that is, uh, it's not about gender. It's just the limitations, again, of our language. If you must refer to the Holy Spirit uh, as a she or whatever, non-gender, whatever, I don't care. Just don't call the Holy Spirit an it. Because you can't be in relationship with an it. Okay? You can only be in relationship with a person. And the purpose of the Holy Spirit is to be in relationship um, with us. And so we are, uh, we, we are to refer to the Holy Spirit as, uh, as an it, as a, as a he, as a person. Right? Okay, good. Um, so here we go. We're going to move forward. Who is the Holy Spirit? And what does he do? Who is the Holy Spirit and what does he do? Uh, last week, I got pretty sick. Uh, it was uh, pretty, pretty ugly for a day or so there. And I was uh, miserable and bored, laying around. And so I just picked up the bottle of medicine that I uh, was taking. And I started reading through the ingredients. You ever read the ingredients? On the medicine you take, <clears throat> you think this stuff is good for you until you start reading the ingredients. And there's all kinds of stuff you don't recognize and stuff you're pretty sure you saw on the news that kills people and stuff that uh, you can't pronounce. Uh, there was uh, magnesium, which I guess is good for you. I don't know. Uh, there was like four different chemicals in this medicine that makes it look a certain color. This was Pepto-Bismol, so I guess it has to like glow in the dark or something. Like it's so bright pink, right? Four chemicals for color. There was like another chemical for taste to make it taste a little sweeter. And then uh, I read a little further, and then it said active ingredient, uh, and then it said bismuth subsalicylate. And so then I was like, why did I have to pay for all the other stuff? If this was the one thing that helps me, this was the one ingredient. Why did I spend money on all the chemicals to make it pink? I don't care if it's pink. Like, I, it doesn't matter to me what color it is. I could even take it if it wasn't so sweet. Like, why did I pay for everything else that's not bismuth subsalicylate? Uh, and so it got me thinking about my life. And so there's all kinds of ingredients to my life. There's all kinds of ingredients to yours, right? Most of the ingredients in our life, most of the stuff in our life is not active ingredients. It's not essential to who we are. Some of it makes our lives taste a little sweeter or look a little better, whatever, but there are very few essential active ingredients. For the Christian, the Holy Spirit is the active ingredient. And 
here is what I, here's what I mean. So the, the, the Holy Spirit is an active ingredient in terms of the people, the, the persons of the Trinity. Because Jesus tells us in the Gospel of John, he tells his disciples that he has to go away. He says, it's good for you that I'm going away so that I can send the Spirit to you, the advocate to you. If I don't go away, you don't receive the Spirit. So in the New Testament, we have this idea, this picture of Jesus having ascended to heaven, sitting at the right hand of God the Father. So we talk a lot about God the Father and God the Son, and they're great. They're awesome, right? And there's nothing bad to say about God the Father and God the Son, but they're sitting up there, right? They're just sitting. They're sitting around in heaven, just waiting for whatever is going to come. They're sitting, the Bible says. It's the Holy Spirit that has come that is active. And so what this means is anytime you experience God, anytime you feel God's presence, anytime you hear God's voice or sense God's direction or your conscience speaks to you, the New Testament says that is the Holy Spirit. So does the Holy Spirit do weird things to people and make people do weird things? Yeah, sure. The Holy Spirit does weird things. Do some people take advantage of the Holy Spirit and do things with the Holy Spirit to manipulate people? Absolutely. I'm sensitive to that. I've seen tent revival preachers and faith healers manipulate people and take their money under the guise of the Holy Spirit. But just because a few bad guys misuse something like the Holy Spirit doesn't mean the Holy Spirit doesn't have something good to offer the rest of us. We've been hearing all week about how terrorists use iPhones. Are we going to stop using iPhones now? Heaven forbid, right? Uh, no, it's not going to happen because iPhones are good for us, we think. So the other thing, is, so I, I've done some uh, extensive cultural research here. Most of my extensive cultural research has led me to believe that almost all guys who wear the Apple Watch are, uh, are pretentious and insecure. Now, just because you, you can say that, but that, you're not going to blame the Apple Watch because of that, are you? Like, the Apple Watch is still a pretty cool thing. But most guys, not all, if y'all ever... If you know some guys that are not pretentious that wear the Apple Watch, please <clears throat> introduce me to them because I, that would be the first for me. But that, that, that's, that's, the, that's the idea is that the Holy Spirit has been misused by some, but that doesn't mean the Holy Spirit uh, is not useful for our lives. The Holy Spirit is the active ingredient for us today. The Holy Spirit is the active ingredient. I think this is why learning about the Holy Spirit is so important because we learn a lot about God the Father, a lot about God the Son. The Holy Spirit is the one we relate to today. So, who is the Holy Spirit? What does the Holy Spirit do? The first thing the Holy Spirit does that we'll talk about is that the Holy Spirit convicts. The Holy Spirit convicts. Doesn't sound like a lot of fun, does it? Um, who likes to be convicted? Uh, that sounds religious and a little scary, a little judgy. This is the reason why people stop coming to church, because we don't want to be convicted about our stuff. <clears throat> we kind of like feeling good about ourselves. And, you know, I think most of us think we're pretty good people. You know, I, uh, I work hard. I pay my taxes. I go to church. I, you know, vote. I follow most uh, traffic laws. I don't wear an Apple Watch. I'm a pretty, pretty good guy, right? Um, but life with the Spirit changes everything. Because when the Spirit comes into your heart, when the Spirit comes into your life, He confronts you with your sin and leads you toward confession, which sounds 
really terrible and really awful. But it, I don't want you to misunderstand. It's not that the Spirit makes you feel worse about yourself. We're not talking about shame. We're not talking about isolation here. We're talking about the ironic freedom that comes from coming clean. The freedom that comes when you come clean. You see, most of us like to put on our masks and put our best foot forward and pretend like we're put together when on the inside we're being eaten alive by the things that uh, we're attached to or the betrayal of our past or brokenness of our relationships. And as long as we keep putting our mask on and putting our best foot forward and pretending like it's all okay, what's going on internally is that we're in prison. We're slaves. But when the Holy Spirit comes and tells us the truth about ourselves, there's freedom that comes with that. I had coffee a couple weeks ago with a pastor. He is in his 70s, and uh, he called me for coffee, which surprised me because that dude is like a legend in the preaching you know, world. I'm like a preaching nerd, and I knew this guy from like years back, and he's written books. And he calls me, and he's out of the blue, and he said, I've heard good things about the story and good things about your ministry, and I just want to get to know you. And I'm just, my heart is palpitating in my chest. And I'm like, what are, you, are you free today? You know, like, whatever. Two days later, we're having coffee, and I take my notebook with me and my pen because I just know this guy is about to drop some pastoral knowledge on me, and I just get ready to absorb all that wisdom and all those pointers about preaching and leadership, I just can't wait to bring it back to my staff and sound smart because he's going to tell me all these things. That's not at all how our time together went. We talked for two hours, and it began this way. This is the first thing he said to me when we sat down at Starbucks. He said, Eric, I'm an alcoholic, and I have been for 40 years, and every day it's like I'm fighting for my life. And I thought, that's a weird way to start a conversation. <laughs> You're going to lead with that? Like, if I'm sitting with a pastor that worships the ground I walk on, you know, a younger person that wants to be a protege or whatever, I'm not sure I lead with, I'm an alcoholic. We don't lead with the bad stuff. We lead with the good stuff. I lead with, I'm a pastor of an awesome new church. I'm a husband of an amazing, beautiful wife. I'm a father of two perfect angels. The <clears throat> <is> <laughs> Holy Spirit is choking me as I say it <clears throat> because it's a lie. <clears throat> we don't lead with the bad stuff. I don't lead with, you know, in my 20s I had a problem with pornography. I don't lead with, now I have a problem with coffee. I don't lead with, you know, I judge guys who wear Apple Watches. I don't lead with, you know, I think cat people are inferior in every way to dog people. <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, I don't lead with all the stuff that's wrong with me because I know it's not right. I lead with the good stuff. But here's the difference between me and the guy sitting across from me a couple weeks ago. The Holy Spirit has completely freed him. He is completely free. The Holy Spirit has convicted him, led him to confession, and he lives in a spirit of confession, a gracious spirit of confession every day. And here's what happens when you live with a spirit of confession is that you become empowered to own the things that used to own you. This guy owns his alcoholism. He used to be owned by it, and now he owns it. 
He owns it so much that he doesn't mind talking about it because he doesn't care what you think. The Holy Spirit's living in his heart. The, the God of the universe has taken up residence in his soul. Do you think he cared what I thought about him being an alcoholic 40 years ago or whatever? No, because he's free. Part of me, I realized, was still imprisoned, you know, enslaved, but this man was free because the Holy Spirit set him free. So this whole idea of being convicted and confessing is uh, for the purpose of bringing freedom. And I think this is an important point because one of the things people often talk about, if you know a little bit about the Bible, some of you that grew up in church and walked away because religion made you sick, you heard things like, well, the only unforgivable sin is blaspheming the Holy Spirit. You ever heard that? The only, Jesus said this. He said, the only, um, every other sin, anything else that you do, God can forgive. But don't blaspheme the Holy Spirit. And I grew up in my backwoods, you know, Bible Belt church thinking, what in the world is that and how do I avoid <laughs> doing that so I don't commit the unforgivable sin? Well, I think this is what it means. Jesus often talked about the Holy Spirit leading us to contrition leading us to being convicted. And I think to blaspheme the Holy Spirit is to not acknowledge your need for forgiveness, to not acknowledge your need for contrition, to not be contrite about what's wrong with you, to continue putting your best foot forward. Because unless you are aware of your need for forgiveness and own your need for forgiveness, uh, forgiveness really isn't possible unless you're in a spirit of contrition. Does that make sense? So I think that is why Jesus describes this as the unforgivable sin, because without uh, your awareness of your need for it, uh, forgiveness can seem uh, far from you. All right, the second thing the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit restores. The Holy Spirit restores. So the whole purpose of conviction is to bring us to restoration. It's not to make you feel worse about yourself it's to bring your better self to the surface. Uh, it, it is to set you free and to place you in a community of other Christians who know they're sinners. And so what happens in communities, in our small groups, for example, what people learn when the Spirit leads your small group is you learn to stop comparing yourself to other people. Because that's where we get to that place where we say, I'm a pretty good guy. You compare yourself to guys that you know, aren't as good as you. Guys that drive 80 in a 65 instead of 73 in a 65. You know, like, I'm breaking the law, but I'm not that guy. You know, like, you, what you do when the Spirit leads you in community is you stop comparing yourself to each other, and you start collectively to compare yourself to the holiness of God. Because I want to tell you something, regardless of how bad you feel about yourself now, <clears throat> maybe if you're in a dark season of your life right now, and you think that you're far from God, or you've done something to someone you think is unforgivable, I want you to know that the, the original design God made you with was in the image of his holiness. God designed you to reflect absolutely his holiness. And so what the Spirit does when you're open to the Spirit and you're in a community of other people who acknowledge their need for forgiveness is the Spirit restores that sense of holiness in your life. The Spirit begins to uncover the holiness, God's image that was there all along. And that's why the fruit of the Spirit is so important to understand because suddenly you become a more loving person. If you've never witnessed the restoration of a person who is open to the Holy Spirit, you're really missing out. There's nothing in the world like it when someone who was absolutely narcissistic becomes transformed into this selfless, giving, generous person. When someone who, you know, was, was uh, totally stingy and selfish becomes giving and caring. When the 
someone who was a distant husband and father becomes a man of God who reflects the holiness of God in his home. This happens a lot. And it's one of the most beautiful parts of being the church is seeing the Holy Spirit work in people's lives, bringing about um, restoration, bringing about tenderness uh, from uh, bitterness. One of the best prayers you can pray, if this is kind of where your heart is at today, is found in Psalm 51. This is the prayer that King David wrote when his life was falling apart. If you think your life is falling apart, uh, it might make you feel a little bit better temporarily to look at David's life and see how awfully his life fell apart. He was a liar, he was an adulterer, he was a murderer, and a really bad father at times. Even though God gave him so much and looked after him. And then David, at his darkest hour, wrote this prayer, which we find, we call it the 51st Psalm. David just called it a prayer. He said, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. He said, do not take your Holy Spirit from me. If anybody tells you the Holy Spirit only is a New Testament thing, point them to Psalm 51. Do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy. The Holy Spirit restores the joy that is lost when sin claims us and makes us a captive. All right, so uh, the third thing I want to say, and this is the most fun, I think is that the Spirit, the Holy Spirit animates us. The Holy Spirit animates us and inspires us. there is a, there's a passage from Exodus 31. It's not in your study guides or on the screens because it just kind of came to mind. Exodus 31, where God tells Moses that he has blessed this guy. I think it was like Belalal or something, Belalel. I can't remember his name. Exodus 31, he says, I've blessed this guy. I've poured my Holy Spirit into this guy, and I've given him the ability to create beautiful arts and crafts for my glory. And so there's this idea that this guy probably had the skills already, but when God pours his Holy Spirit into an artist or into a craftsman, there is another level of animation, another level of inspiration. So, right, musicians, they're everywhere. They're a dime a dozen. But have you ever sat and listened to the work of an inspired musician? One who was animated by something higher. It brings tears to the eyes, right? Uh, And so artists... Artists are everywhere, but have you ever laid eyes on the work of an inspired artist? Something that transcended this world. There's something more the Spirit does with us to bring about our better selves uh, and to animate us. So, yeah, we get caught up in the weird stuff. We get caught up in the speaking in tongues stuff, uh, but we miss sometimes the animation that the Spirit uh, does with us. And this is what uh, happened in Acts chapter 2. When Pentecost happened and the Spirit came like with tongues of fire and they started like speaking other languages, right? We get really, really scared about the Holy Spirit at this point. But listen, that's not what happened. Really, Acts 2 isn't even about speaking in tongues. Acts 2 is about people from different cultures, people who were supposed to hate and despise each other, coming together, understanding each other. They spoke different languages, but they found a way through the Holy Spirit to understand one another. Reminds me a little bit of a a summer that I spent in Korea. When I was younger, I went to Korea for a whole summer. I learned about East Asian religions. And I went to this Korean church. And at this Korean church, there was a woman preaching there. And uh, she was preaching in Korean. Luckily, they had headsets for foreigners like me to be translated into English, to have the sermon translated into English. 
Um, and, and yet something happened in that service, man. She was so on fire. She was so like filled with the Holy Spirit that I felt like the English translation, which was fine, was getting in the way of me understanding her. Does that make sense? It doesn't make sense unless you, you kind of have been there with the Holy Spirit in a place, moving in a place. But I had to take the headphones off to understand what she was saying in Korean. I don't speak Korean. There's a few things I can say. I, I can say hello and I love you and like more meat, please, in Korean, and that's it. I got nothing else. But I knew exactly what this woman was saying. I knew exactly what the message was the Holy Spirit was giving through her. Because that's what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit brings understanding and unity in diversity. One of the things that I love about what the, what the Holy Spirit has done at the Story Houston is bringing different kinds of people together. Now, at first glance, you might think, well, this isn't the most diverse church I've ever seen. You'd be surprised how diverse this congregation is in relation to other Christian communities. We have people sitting here right now who are Bible-thumping people, man, lifelong, hardcore believers, and they are in small groups with people who self-identify as skeptics, agnostics, and borderline atheists. And do you think that they just get together and argue all the time? No, the Holy Spirit has done a new thing and has brought people together that can break bread together without arguing all the time. Um, and so we got people right now, teenagers, sitting next to people in their 70s and 80s. Not because they have to, not because it's grandma and grandpa, because they want to. Because of what the Holy Spirit does. There are people standing here or sitting here right now that in just a few moments will be standing at these stations to serve communion. And these people that are serving communion, they might be voting for Donald Trump in a few months. They're going to be Donald Trump voters, and they're going to serve... a piece of bread and some juice to someone who's going to vote for Hillary Clinton and they're going to say, this is the body of Christ and the blood of Christ broken for you and poured out for you. Not in spite of who you're voting for either. God brings different people together. There are people here in this room that are feeling the burn. Anybody feeling the burn in this house today? They're not going to admit it in Texas, man. So, all right, so it's okay. Feeling the burn. Might want to get that looked at if you're feeling the burn. All right, so <laughs> here we go. All right, uh, so what happens at the church when the Holy Spirit moves is that we're not supposed to love each other. We're supposed to hate each other, but the Spirit leads us uh, to love each other, animates us, and inspires us to be better versions of ourselves. That's what happened with the first Christians. They loved each other so completely, you guys. That's what they were known for. Acts says that everybody who saw the Christians liked them. Can you imagine a world in which everyone who saw Christians said, I like those people. That's what was happening in the first church because that's what the Holy Spirit did. These people so adamantly loved each other, took care of their poor, raised women to the level of equality with men, and the way that they loved each other and partied together was so provocative and so positive that people, actually unbelievers, looked at Christians and said, those people are drunk. Look, uh, we have the do we have the next slide? Maybe we took it out. So the 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 they, they said they are filled with new wine. There it is, filled with new wine. These people have had too much to drink. It's you know twelve o'clock, I guess you know, and like they're drinking already. This is. And so what I want to say is, if we as Christians aren't so joyful, and loving each other so completely. If we don't give others the impression that we are so full of life that they say. 
I want whatever they're having. You know, like those people have had a little too much of something. We're doing it wrong. Because that's what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit brings life. Now, if all of this sounds weird, threatening, whatever, opening your heart to the Holy Spirit sounds a little like uh, strange, I want you to know that I get it. I've been sitting where you're sitting and I understand. Because the Holy Spirit will bring side effects with it. Um, you know how those, in those commercials for the, for, the, for the medicines, you know, at the end they like slip in all those awful side effects for this medicine that's going to be good for your, you know, restless leg syndrome. It may cause a stroke. It will, it will cause a heart attack and you will die. But your legs won't be restless anymore, you know. <laughs> There's side effects, right? The, the Holy Spirit does bring side effects with it, and you need to be prepared. Some of you aren't ready for this, and that's okay. But look, the Holy Spirit will not leave you the same. It's not about rolling up and down the aisles, but the Holy Spirit will change who you are, essentially, from the inside. Here's what will happen. First, you'll start thinking about God a little bit more. You'll start thinking about the stuff you used to care about a lot less. You'll start saying the name of Jesus in public squares, and uh, you will start praying more. You'll surrender in worship more. Um, and uh, the weirdest thing will happen in worship on Sundays during the music. You'll find yourself kind of doing this, and you're like, what's wrong with me? I'm a Methodist. What's wrong with me? I can't stop moving. What's wrong with me? You know, and then suddenly, like, your head's moving. Uh, and if you're like me, your head doesn't move to the same rhythm as your body because I have no rhythm. But you can't stop it, right? And then before you know it, there's like a hand going up in the air. And you're like, oh, my God, they're not going to invite me to parties anymore. I'm so weird now. And so, like, you know, there's bodily manifestations of this. And I know not everyone's going to be like, we don't want to be that church where the first, you know, note of the music, everybody's like, but I think that's a little bit, a little bit off. I don't know, something's weird. But, uh, but I do want us to be open to what the Spirit does in us. And for the life of me, I cannot figure out why doing this in church makes you a weirdo, but doing this at a football game makes you perfectly acceptable. <laughs> We're hypocrites. We're cultural hypocrites. Because doing this at church, nobody calls you. Doing this at a concert, and you're just one more, like, loyal member of the Beehive, man. You're just a Beyonce fan club, you know, member, right? You worship collectively, and you embody worship on a Sunday with a community of believers, and they call you like you're a Branch Davidian or something. But do the same thing on a Saturday at College Station, And you're a part of a cult. So, um, <laughs> all right, sorry, sorry, sorry. All right, not enough. No, it's perfectly normal what happens. <laughs> I'm just glad y'all wear the ring so I know who you are. All right. <laughs> I love you, Aggies. All right, keep coming back. People with Apple Watches and Aggies are not coming back to church next week. All right, so. <laughs> Put your horns down, sir. Uh, all right. <laughs> okay. So the Holy Spirit doesn't make you weird, but the Holy Spirit will make you different. The Holy Spirit will make you into the person you are created to be. And I think deep down that's really what we all want, what we all crave. 
That's why we fill our lives with filler, try to make ourselves temporarily feel better because something's missing. And I think what's missing is our purpose, the initial design, the intent with which we were created to reflect the holiness of God. And that's what the Spirit restores in us. This week, my daughter got sick soon after I did, as happens in families. And uh, she was sick to her stomach yesterday. It was awful. You know, it was painful. She was in pain. And her little eight-year-old body was shaking like she was in shock. And it, uh, it wasn't pretty, you guys. I don't know. I, I don't want to describe it. It's almost lunchtime. But uh, I was, uh, you know, she's sitting there. You all know where she's sitting, right? She's sick to her stomach. And she's sitting there vulnerable. And I'm trying to disinfect the place before her brother gets sick, too. <laughs> and I, I feel her little hand reach out to me and grab mine. And she pulls me down. And she's crying. And she says, Daddy, will you please stay? She said, just stay. And I, I had a lot of reasons not to stay. <laughs> there were plenty of reasons for me to walk away from that mess. <laughs> but without a moment's hesitation, I said, yes, baby, yes. Of course I will stay. And it occurred to me at that moment yesterday afternoon that after all this preparation of this sermon, I could have just told you that story and, and given you everything you needed to know about what the Holy Spirit means for us today and who the Holy Spirit is. Because we, too, have been sick. We've made our messes. We stink sometimes. <laughs> we uh, are in shock sometimes. We're in pain sometimes. What we really want is for someone to stay. And the Holy Spirit is God's yes. I will stay. Yes, I will stay with you. And receiving the Holy Spirit isn't complicated. It's not about praying some correct religious prayer. It's just saying yes back, man. Saying yes to God's yes. And getting rid of all that rigid skepticism that we've all been burdened with and saying, yes, God. Yes, Holy Spirit, restore me. Come be with me. I receive you. I hope that's your prayer right now. It's my prayer. I hope that it's yours. Let's go to God. Lord, we thank you for your Holy Spirit, and we just, together and individually, we say yes. Yes. Yes, God. Thank you for staying with us through it all. In the power of the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Amen.